we are going back to our stained glass series. And if you'll see it on the screen, the picture may not be as sharp as the stained glass, but that way you don't want to keep turning and looking at, at the stained glass. You see that we're on the one that we believe celebrates the life and ministry of Jesus that will prepare us for right around Easter time, uh, the time we celebrate Christ's death and resurrection, for the one that's right over here, the cross and the rising sun symbolizing the resurrection. But as we focus on the ministry of Jesus and his life, the two symbols that are used in that stained glass are the symbol of the word and the symbol of a candlestick or light. Jesus as the word of life and Jesus as the light of the world. Those are two apt symbols for his entire life and his entire ministry because Jesus as the Word describes both who he is and what he taught. Jesus as the light describes what he came to do to take away the darkness of sin from this world and to give us the light of truth. And so this morning we're going to begin the three-part series on Jesus, the ministry and life of Jesus. And we begin with Jesus, the word of life. There are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you already knew that. They're not all the same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the most similar. They all have their different nuances and their different focuses and their different ways that they bring out the story of Jesus' life and ministry. But what is interesting is how they all begin the story of Jesus' life and ministry just a little bit different. The Gospel of Mark, the briefest of the Gospels, which tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry, the good news that he came to this earth to be our Savior, that Gospel begins with the story of Jesus entering into ministry. It begins with the story of his baptism. And it goes on from there. For Mark, the the story of the good news of Jesus begins with him going down to the River Jordan and being baptized as being anointed by the Spirit so that he could do his ministry. The Gospel of Matthew begins with the genealogy. It begins with the genealogy that that goes all the way back to Abraham as the father of the Jewish nation. It goes all the way back to Abraham to whom it was promised through your seed shall all the world be blessed, that seed being Jesus Christ himself. And so Matthew thought, where better to start than with Abraham? The Gospel of Luke begins with a genealogy, it doesn't begin with a genealogy, it begins with a story of of, uh, the birth of John the Baptist or the, the prophecy about it. But then in the third chapter, it tells the genealogy of, of Jesus and it goes all the way back to the story of Adam, that the genealogy begins with Adam and all mankind because Luke is the one gospel writer that that seems to indicate more and more than any of the others that the gospel was to go to everyone, including the Gentiles. But John goes back even further. John goes back to before there was time, as we know it. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It's on page 886 of your pew Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 1. 
I, I want you to notice the very first verse and what it says. I, I wish I had someone like James Earl Jones to recite this. I mean, that deep, resonant voice, or, or someone like Wentley Phipps that could just say it in such a way that you couldn't help but catch the depth of it, the grandeur of it, the awesomeness of it. I mean, this passage is so sublime. It is simply profound, and it's profoundly simple at the same time. We get it, but we don't. We know it, but do we? I almost feel when I read this passage every single time, and, and that was reinforced as I studied this week, I almost feel like every time I read this passage, I should read it with my shoes off. It's that profound and that deep. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. This passage is often referred to as the prologue or introduction to the gospel, and indeed that is true because everything else in the gospel of John is told with the understanding of these few verses. John never mentions the word again, and we'll talk about that in a moment, in the rest of the, of the, of the gospel. But unless you understand that in the beginning was the word, the rest of the gospel doesn't make sense. The reformer John Calvin made this statement about the prologue. He says, John says much more than the mind can take in. And that's an understatement. William Barclay, in his, in his treatment of this prologue, made the following statement. He said, the first chapter of the fourth gospel is one of the greatest adventures of the religious thought ever achieved by the mind of men. One of the greatest adventures of the religious thought ever achieved by the mind, minds of men. In the beginning was the word. That word in Greek for word is the word logos, logos. You don't have to be a deep theological scholar to know that there's something incredibly meaningful in that word. There's somehow when you read that sentence, that opening statement, in the beginning was the word, you know it's deeply profound, don't you? you know there's something deeply meaningful. You know it's talking not just about anybody, but it's talking about God himself. In the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary Dictionary, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Dictionary in the commentary set, the following is said about what this word logos is referring to. It says that the term stresses the systematic, meaningful arrangement of the thoughts expressed in words rather than the primarily the words itself. It's stressing the thoughts conveyed. This word logos, logos is a designation for Christ, characterizing him as the incarnate expression of the character, mind, and will of God. 
And used in this sense, Jesus Christ was God's thought made audible, visible, and intelligible to human beings, especially with respect to salvation. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ is God's word, his will and his mind made visible, audible, and intelligible. This word is commonly used to, of both the creative word of God. You remember what it said in Psalms 33? It says, he spoke and it stood fast. Genesis 1 says, and God spoke and it came to be. He said, let there be light, and there was. You see, the word of God is not just a word that conveys a message. It's a word, as the Hebrews believed, that was a word of action. When God said something, things happened. The word of God was a creative word. It created this world. And the word of God was also a word to communicate with others. Over and over again in the Old Testament, when God was talking to, talking to the prophets, it said, the word of the Lord came to Amos. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and others. It's the idea that God longs to and wants to and desires to express to you and to me the revelation of who he is and how he longs to be involved in your life and in mine. Before we ever talk about the life and the ministry of Jesus, we need to know this wonderful fact that, that John says so well to us. In the beginning was the Word. But John wasn't just talking to, to the Jews who would understand that, that this would be referring to God. In the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He would be talking to Gentiles to Greeks who, who had some ideas about this word logos themselves. They believed, and this may surprise you, but they believed that the logos was the second person of divinity. And you wonder why he used it? They believed that, that the second person of God was an emanation that, that came down from God and, and, and kind of found its way here. And John's trying to counteract that, and he says he's not an emanation. He is God himself. They believed that he was the wisdom and the, and, and the reason and the logic of the universe. John's trying to get them to see he's not just the reason and the logic. He is the creative word. When you read this opening verse, we see that what John is trying to tell us, what he was trying to tell those he wrote to when he wrote this down, was that before man sinned, there was a plan of redemption. That before Jesus, he could introduce them to Jesus, whose life and ministry would bring about that plan of salvation, he wanted them to know that Jesus Christ was God in heaven. The word was with God. That word with means not just in his presence, but he was with him intimately. He was with him in terms of what he thought and what he said and what he did. He was with him. He knew God's own heart and mind. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There is no doubt in John's mind 
that the two natures of Jesus, his human nature and his divine nature, were blended into that one person. Later he says in chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. There is no doubt that he's referring to Jesus Christ. And later on, just to make sure, all the way down in verse 17, he finally gives his name, for he says the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One person has said that the word logos, referring to Jesus, means the creative, active, dynamic word of God that accomplished creation, that accomplished revelation, and that accomplished, accomplished our redemption and salvation. That's what John had in mind. In the beginning was the Word. I want you to notice a few things about this passage. It says in the beginning was the Word. It doesn't mean that Jesus has ceased to exist. He's using the terminology from, guess what, Genesis what? 1-1. In the beginning, God created. At the beginning of the world, God created. And what John is trying to get us to see is at the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry in which he accomplished salvation, in the beginning, he was God. And as God, he came to save us. I want you to notice that word was is not a past was in terms of it no longer is. It really is another way of saying in the beginning was the word is another way of saying before time began, he was. He was. Goes on to say, and John does this a number of times throughout his gospel. He approaches things first from the positive and then from the negative. Verse 3, all things were created by him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In other words, Jesus Christ, and of course he, other texts show us he did it in conjunction with God the Father and with the Spirit. But Jesus Christ was the active agent in creation. He created everything. There isn't a single thing that's alive that he hasn't created. And notice the next verse. In him was life, and this translation is correct, and the life was the light of men. Do you know why it says the life? Because John wants us to know that Jesus and Jesus alone is the source of life. He was the source of life at creation. God breathed into Adam the breath of life and man became a living soul. Jesus was the source of life at creation. When it comes to our recreation, he and he alone is the source of life as well. In him is life. He is the life that is the light of all men. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the life because you have Jesus. Amen. That's what he's saying. What John is trying to get us to see in this extremely profound passage, which I am totally inadequate to present to you, I admit that from the core of my being. What John is trying to get us to see, among other things, is that just as our creation began with God, and just as we cannot know God apart from His revelation to us, we cannot be redeemed apart from God. Our redemption is in His hands as well. 
Which brings us to the next point. Jesus is the word of redemption. Jesus is the word of redemption. Notice what it says. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Here, here John's talking not about God's people, Israel. He's talking about the rest of the world who everyone would agree, in, in Israel at least, that no one else would ex- believe in him. But notice it didn't say he entered the world. It says he came into the world. It didn't say he, he, he was born. It says he came into the world. The rest of the Gospels begin with, at least Matthew and Luke, begin with Jesus being born. John says Jesus came into the world. He entered into the world. There's a difference. Do you see it? Notice he goes on. He says the world didn't recognize him. A better translation might be the world refused to recognize him. They didn't want to know him. That's still true today, isn't it? It doesn't stop there. It says he came to his own people, the Jews, and even they rejected him. It was a choice they made, individually and as a people. And then comes verse 12, the word of redemption. Yet to all who received him, that means those who accepted him, those who agreed that he is the Word made flesh. To all who accepted Him, who believed in His name, who trusted in His character, He gave the right, the power, the authority to become children of God. This verse is extremely important because this verse is taken from an adoption formula. This verse is taken from an adoption formula that says that those who are adopted now have the right to be the sons of, the, of their new father and therefore they can conduct the family business. Therefore they, therefore they have every single right a natural born son would have. Jesus is the word of redemption because to all who accepted him and, and believed and trusted in his character, they would be children born not of natural descent but born of God. We read that in John 3 that Nicodemus says you must be born again, but I'm not sure we really get it. That God, the great God of the universe, has chosen to adopt us as his children and says he gives us the right, the authority to belong to him the right, the authority to belong to him because we have been born of him. He wants to give us his very character. John doesn't stop there. He says that Jesus is not only the creative word, he's not only the word of redemption, but he's the word of revelation. And this is the the summary and the, and the fine point that, that John is trying to get us to see at, at the end of this introduction. It says, And the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you recognize the imagery John is using? He's using the imagery of Exodus chapter 19 when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and he said, let them build me a sanctuary that I may tabernacle among them. That I may dwell among them. That God wants to dwell among us through his spirit and be with us is 
prominent all the way from, from the very beginning in Genesis when he was grieved when man had to be cast away from his presence all the way to Revelation to, where it says not once but three times that he will be our God and we will be his people and he will dwell with us. When it says in, in John 1.14, the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. Do you remember where God's glory was revealed in the tabernacle? It was in the Shekinah glory over the mercy seat of the ark in which were the Ten Commandments. And John is being very, very specific here. He's saying the Word was made flesh and He dwelt with us just as God dwelt with Israel of old and we beheld His glory. We beheld the glory of Jesus, the glory of God's character just as the Israelites saw God's glory in the Shekinah. And then he goes on, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That word grace upon grace means one wave of grace after another. A constant, constant flow of grace. And what he's meaning is found in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And there are some who try to say that means the law was done away with. Now we have grace. That's not what it's saying. And most Bible commentators recognize that. What it's saying is, think about this. We have received grace upon grace. Wave upon wave of grace. We received grace when the law was given. It was put in the mercy seat, under the mercy seat. It was given with the sanctuary service where there would be a sacrifice for when we do sin. We receive grace through Moses. It was given through Moses, but it wasn't Moses himself. But through Jesus Christ, we receive grace and truth. It's grace upon grace. It's both grace and truth. And we need both. We need both. Verse 18 ends with no one has ever seen God. God's only Son, the one who is closest to the Father's heart. It literally reads, the one who's in God's bosom. It's, it's a way of showing the closeness and, and the intimacy and, and the unity that, that's there. What John is trying to get us to see, that in the life and ministry of Jesus, he came to reveal to us the character of the Father that we might know that the Father wants to save us as much as the Son. That we might know that the Father is a Father of compassion just as the Son is. That we might know that the Father is filled with mercy and grace and truthfulness and justice and righteousness just as the Son is. He came to show us in His, his sinless life the character of a God who seeks the best in others. That's why John says, we've all received grace upon grace wave after wave my son is a, likes to surf that's not him I've watched him a couple of times he likes to surf so much that when he was in Chicago studying for his his doctorate he would surf Lake Michigan Lake Michigan is not known for its large waves except in February where the winter weather whips up the waves. He wanted to surf in Michigan, so he asked for a cold water suit for Christmas. And my wife and I decided we'd help him along. 
And uh, we, we did not, we thought it was just because Lake Michigan's a cold lake. Later, when Vivian especially found out that uh, it was for surfing in the middle of winter in, in Illinois, she said, if I'd known that, he'd never gotten the wetsuit. But that's another whole story. Surfers like to receive wave after wave, don't they? Any surfers in the crowd here? I know there's a couple over here. They like it when there's wave after wave. They get up on the board and they ride the power of the wave because the wave provides the power they can't. Now, there are some who really like to surf dangerously and they surf the big waves with the big power. And I've told my son, if he ever does that, he's out of the will. <laughs> The interesting thing is what's the difference between surfing small waves and big waves and surfing the wave of salvation, of grace upon grace, is that God's power is never too great for us. He may have, he ha, not may have, he has the most gigantic, huge wave of grace there is. And it's that grace which we can ride upon and which will carry us through to the kingdom of glory. That's what John wanted us to see. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in us through his spirit and through his fullness of grace and truth we have received grace upon grace that we might when we become his sons and daughters by receiving Jesus Christ into our lives, that we might become the children of God, children who reflect his character, children who reach out to others that they might know him too, whom to know is life eternal. Do you see why this introduction to the gospel of John is so important to understanding the ministry and the life of Jesus? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only, say it with me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was because in the beginning was the word that that very wonderful verse of scripture is true. And we can trust it. We can trust him. Because he loved us so much, he left heaven to come here and be our Savior so that we can one day be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. 
He is the center of the plan of salvation. And through your spirit, he wants to be the center of our life, the focus of our lives. May we yield our lives to you and enjoy what it means to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.